You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. the privilege of meeting you. Uh, I go by Ant. I get the privilege of serving here as pastor here at Midtown Tunage. If you're a guest, especially if this is your first time, we're very glad and excited uh, that you chose to join us today and worship with us. Just want to extend a a special welcome to you, let you know that we are glad that, that you are here with us. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 12. We'll be starting it around verse 13. Again, Luke chapter 12, we'll be starting at verse 13. If you can go ahead and turn there. In your Bibles, we're in a series that we're just calling In Columbia As It Is in Heaven. Jesus called his disciples to pray uh, that God's will will be done and his kingdom will come and that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we want to see the Lord do in our city. Uh, one of the things that we've said as we've talked about just seeing God transform our city and make it look more and more like heaven every day is that the way that he, he works to transform his earth is by working to transform his people. That the thing he wants to do through us in transforming and renewing our world, he wants to do to us by first transforming and renewing us first. So if we want to see our city look more and more like the kingdom of heaven, then we must look more and more like citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So we talked through our membership covenant where we have put different what we call covenant practices into our membership covenant for everyone who becomes a member of our church. These are things that we agree to practicing consistently in an ongoing way to help us continue to grow to be the type of people that God has created us to be. So we've been looking at in this series just the different covenant practices in our membership covenant. I have to be honest, this covenant practice is a difficult one. It's a controversial one. It's one that people don't like to hear preachers talk about. And honestly, at times I felt uncomfortable preaching about it. The covenant practice, as stated in our membership covenant, I'll just read it and then I'll try to explain and then we'll get into the word. Reads, generosity is giving to God's mission and learning to trust him more than our wealth. Therefore, I commit to give 10% to the mission of Jesus through Midtown as a starting point for generosity. Generosity, I'll read it again. Generosity is giving to God's mission and learning to trust him more than our wealth. Therefore, I commit to give 10% to the mission of Jesus through Midtown as a starting point for generosity. Let me try to give a few disclaimers first. Number one, I do not believe that the Bible calls every Christian to tithe. I'll say that again. I don't think the Bible explicitly calls every Christian to tithe and give 10% to the church. I believe that we do see a pattern in the Bible of God calling his people to be generous in every area of life, not just with financial resources, but in every area of life that we would give sacrificially to him. I believe that in the Old Testament, we see at least three different types of tithe that ended up being more than 10% uh, for most people that had resources. I believe our lights don't like preaching on money either, just as most of us. That's number one. Number two, thank you, I appreciate that. Number two, I believe it is in, within the authority of the local church. I believe God gives local church authority to ask and expect members to give generously to the work of God in the kingdom of God. I believe the church has the right to do that. Partially, I don't have time to read this, but uh, if you want to research it more, feel free to look up 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. 
Again, feel free to look this up on your own time. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 through 14, Paul makes the point that those who are ministers of the gospel have the right, he uses the word, I would never use this word, he uses the word to demand that those that he is ministering the gospel to support and fund his ministry that he might be able to make a living by preaching the gospel. I believe this shows that the church has the authority to call members to give financially. The third disclaimer I want to make is I also believe that it's horrible, and I want to speak strongly about this. I believe that it's horrible that a lot of people that call themselves pastors, I heard some, another minister call them pulpit pimps. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I believe that there, it is horrible that so many have used the pulpit as a means for financial gain for themselves, and now the church lacks credibility. So now when pastors get up and preach on giving and tithing and money and things like that, everyone's very uncomfortable about it. And I honestly believe that that is something that we, as a church, as pastors, we need to think through. I want to make sure you know a few things about our church specifically. Since our church started, we said we wanted to target impoverished communities in and around Two Notch Road. I honestly am not trying to get more money from you for me. The majority of my salary actually comes from outside support. There are actually people outside of our, there are people and churches outside of our church that believe in what we're doing as a church to the point that they give monthly to our church to fund my salary. So over 50% of my salary doesn't come from the church. If everybody in the room right now started tithing, it wouldn't change my salary one bit. Like it wouldn't change anything about my salary. I'm not after your money. I hope that if you're here and you're a member, you find us in our leadership and me in particular to be trustworthy. And one thing that I do want to say is this, that a lot of people actually have that hang up. And a lot of people use that hang up as an excuse not to give to the church. A lot of people will say, well, they just give the pastor this money or the pastor trying to get rich or whatever. And actually deep underneath that is a desire to not be generous and is a lack of value for the kingdom of God and the work that God is doing through his church within the kingdom of God. Well, I'm going to get into in a little bit two specific sins that, that trap us and enslave us and stifle the generosity that God wants to birth and grow inside of us. And we're going to do that starting in Luke chapter 12. The Bible in general talks a lot about money. We cannot dodge this topic simply because it's uncomfortable. Amen, church? Amen. Context for Luke chapter 12, Jesus in the middle of teaching a crowd of people and someone in the crowd just starts asking Jesus a question. Right. So Jesus is is communicating, he's teaching, he's preaching. Someone in the crowd asks him a question. Let's look at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So this guy who's asking Jesus this question, it's likely that his father has just passed away and his brother now has the inheritance. And it sounds like his brother is not sharing the inheritance with him. And Jesus is like, well, he says to Jesus, Jesus, tell him to share this inheritance with me. And Jesus, as he often does, if when when he. When you're not focusing on what he believes you should be focusing on, he'll kind of ignore your question and say whatever it is that he wants to say. Verse 14. But he said to the man who made me a judge or arbitrator over you. I'm sorry. Did somebody put me over family court here? Family disputes? Verse 15. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus, will you tell my brother to share the inheritance with me? All right, bro, be careful 
against covetousness because life is not found in the abundance of possessions. This is what Jesus often does. He doesn't settle the man's dispute. He engages the man on a heart level to make sure his heart is where it needs to be. The first sin that I want to point us to that enslaves us and robs us of being able to enjoy a life of generosity is covetousness. Covetousness. Jesus tells the man, be careful, protect yourself against covetousness. The 10th commandment is that we shouldn't covet. When the Bible refers to covetousness, it's referring to what is actually in our heart. When we desire for something, some, some, some possession more than we ought to. When it's not, when we, our desire to have something actually now has us. Our desire to possess something actually now possesses us. This is covetousness. The Greek word that's translated covetousness is also translated into a word you might be more familiar with, and that is greed. Jesus is saying, be on guard against all kinds of greed. And you know what greed is, right? The greedy person is a person that believes they need more than they actually need. A greedy person is just someone who can't tell the difference between a want and a need, so they feel like they always have to have more money even though their needs are met. They need to have a nicer car or nicer things, even though the one that they have or the one that's available to them is actually okay, actually does what it needs to do. A greedy person believes that life consists in the abundance of possessions. They believe that their life will be more fulfilling if they just had more comfort, more, lex- more luxury, more things. They, they feel like they would actually find more contentment in life if that was the case. So a greedy person is a person who might have their needs met and will still have thoughts like, man, I'd be straight if I just had that one thing, though. I don't need a million dollars or anything like that, but if I had that, I'd be good. I don't need to be rich, but I'd be content if I just had blank. Jesus talks about the abundance of things. Abundance is simply just having more than you need, more than is required. These thoughts expose to us that we believe that life is found in the abundance or in the excess of things. This is the reason for some of our horrible debt problems and messed up credit scores. It's because we covet It's because the thing that we don't have the money to have, we believe we will find life if we just had that thing. So even though I don't have the money for it, I'm going to purchase it anyway because I believe life is found in the abundance of things. This is covetousness. This is greed. It's I don't care if it fits my budget or not because deep down, whether I admit to myself or not, I feel like I can't find contentment outside of this possession or these possessions. Well, I couldn't go out to this event like this, so I had to do, I had to purchase that. I mean, I had to have it. I needed it, even though it's not actually a need. And Jesus will go into what needs actually are a little bit later. He tells the man who wants some of his family's inheritance to be careful. To, he says, he says so, so take care. That means be, be careful. Be, be on your guard against all types of covetousness. I believe if we asked the majority of us in this room before this sermon started to list things that you struggle with, I bet few of us would have said covetousness. And Jesus says, be on guard against it. You know, he says, be careful against this. I have a daughter. She's one year old. She doesn't understand danger the way that she should. She's got two older older brothers, right? She wrestles with them all the time. She doesn't really have a concept of this might be a dangerous situation as she should. So I'll say, oh, eating grace, be careful. 
That's what you say to somebody who you think might not understand the danger that they are in. And Jesus is saying, take care and be on guard against all types of covetousness, all types of greed. The implication here is that you might not know how dangerous of a situation you're actually in. The implication here is you might not know that there is covetousness, that there is greed lurking in your heart. And this man that's asking for this inheritance that, that prompts Jesus to start this, this conversation or, or maybe this monologue about greed and covetousness, this man's not stealing. This man isn't trying to deceive anybody. He just, he, he's not doing some type of unethical practice to get over on somebody to gain money. He just wants part of the inheritance from his dad. And Jesus said, hey, be careful. What he's asking for is not wrong, but Jesus is still checking his heart and saying, be careful. Listen, I know you're just trying to advance in your career. I know you're just trying to get a better job, make more money, and all those things are good. But Jesus is saying, be careful. Be careful. Be on guard. Protect yourself from greed and covetousness that might be lurking in your heart or might be lurking just around the corner. Are you on guard against covetousness? Are you on guard? Do you realize you're constantly in danger of covetousness? And this isn't only the case of people who might have credit problems or issues like that, as I spoke of earlier, but it's also the case for those who have plenty. We'll keep reading at verse 16. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So this guy has so many things. He's like, I don't even have a place to store all the things that I have. So I need to get more storage place for the things that I have. Verse 18, and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God, this man is doing well, no financial trouble at all, but he cared more about his financial and material prosperity than he cared about the kingdom of God. And God calls him a fool for being rich materially and not rich towards God. He says he's a fool. He doesn't, he doesn't come out and say he's immoral. He just says you're foolish. It's what he says. Now, why would God call him a fool? He spent all of his time, energy, and possessions trying to gain things in this life when none of us know when we're going to die or lose it all. So to make financial wealth, your primary pursuit in this life is short-sighted, and Jesus is saying you have a minimal return on your investment if that's what you ultimately are living for. The Bible teaches that when the followers of Jesus sacrifice for the kingdom of God, we're actually storing up riches for ourselves in eternity, in heaven. When we are generous in the name of Christ, we are laying up treasures for ourselves that will not be taken away from us. There's a man named Jim Elliott. He has a quote that I wanted to read. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Wisdom, then, would be to sacrifice money, possessions, in this life that we can't keep anyway to gain treasure in heaven that we can't lose. As Jesus teaches about not being greedy, not being covetous, listen, he's not just saying, hey, hey, do this so you can be a good Christian. He's saying, it's foolish not to do this. 
He's saying it doesn't make any sense to value possessions that maybe you'll have from a few decades to gain what you will keep for all of eternity. He's saying it's the only, this is the only thing that actually makes sense. It is foolish to live any other way. Focus on what is eternal. Every possession you accumulate in this life, you will lose. Every one of them. You will lose them. They will tarnish. They will fall apart. You will die and go on to be with the Lord if you're a follower of Jesus. And for some of us as, as believers, it's really foolish the way that we think about it. Right? So we've come to faith in Christ. We love him. We've we, we placed faith in him, our hope and our trust in him. We follow him and we believe that everyone else in this world needs to follow him. Right? That is the ultimate joy, the ultimate prize in life is getting God himself and having relationship with him. But at the same time, we won't give any money to the mission of God. This is a walking contradiction. This is foolishness at its best. Right? This is, I believe that nothing is more important than knowing God and making him known. But I won't give any of the resources that God has given me to aid that. This is living in contradiction. This is living in hypocrisy. We're fooling ourselves and deceiving ourselves if we actually believe that we are about the work of the Lord to see his kingdom come and his will be done in Columbia as it is in heaven, but we won't consistently sacrifice money for it. That's foolishness. It's foolishness. It's, it's hypocrisy at its, at its finest if we believe we're actually about the work of God. But God, you can have everything, but don't touch my money, though. This is important to understand and think through. Because in every financial decision that we make, we're always saying yes to something and no to something else. That's just the way money works. We're limited in our resources. If you're not limited in resources, I really need you to tie. Just kidding. But we're limited in our resources. We're limited in our resources, and you, you have access. You can, on your phone right now, within 60 seconds, have access to almost anything you could want, right? You can, you can make a purchase for any, anything with, within the amount of money that you have. There are hundreds, thousands, probably millions of things that you can access within 60 seconds. So you're always saying yes to something and no to something else. That's just the way money works. Anything that you can spend, you're always accepting something and rejecting something else, choosing one thing over something else. Your decisions aren't made in a vacuum where you're only deciding yes to this. Your yes to something is always no to something else. That's just the way money works. One of the things I'm very grateful for is that there are some of us in this church that say no consistently to material possessions that they could afford because they want to seek the kingdom of God more than they seek possessions. And our church is able to continue to do what we do because of you. I consider those to be financial pillars in our church. If that is you, I just want to encourage you because there are people who legitimately are living below their means right now because they care so much about the work of God going forward. People who don't have the type of house, the type of car, the type of possessions that they could have because they are choosing to value the kingdom of God more than those things. And if that is you, I want to encourage you in your walk, in your love, in your sacrifice, in your seeking of the kingdom. Because of you, we're able to, I don't know how many of us realize, we just had to change and upfit a lot in our kid town area because we had more kids coming in than we had space. And because of your giving and your generosity, we're able to welcome more children in the kid town and share Jesus with them every single week because of your generosity that God is using. 
On top of that, we were also able to give out book bags. At the time, we, we didn't have enough book bags for everybody that, that, that we were able to bring there. So some people came and were in need of book bags. And so we just had the money to be able to do it. So it was like, hey, somebody go to the store and get book bags. So we want every kid that is here to have book bags. And we're able to do that and many other things like that that I don't have time to share because of your consistent sacrifice and generosity. There are members in our church that have needed financial assistance from time to time that we're not going to publicize because that's not what we're trying to do. But I want you to know that if you've been consistently generous with our church, we do that because God is using your generosity. And we're able to continue to share the gospel with those that need him because of you. And there are some who consistently say no to giving to the kingdom of God. Because we find it way more important to say yes to material things, temporary things that will not last. And when we do this, while professing that Christ is greater than anything else and what everyone needs, again, we are a walking contradiction. So we'll do things like we'll eat out all the time instead of budgeting and cooking and then say, well, I don't really have money to give to the church. Well, it seems we can, it's easy to see when someone's money, what they value the most. Or we'll spend money to buy new furniture, new TV, vacation, or whatever it is. Or I would give, but I'm in a financially difficult place right now. And that's a place that you put yourself in and chose to be in. Jesus calls the man a fool. Our covetousness makes us live and act like we believe differently than we actually do. And Our covetousness is often a lack of trust in the Lord, that he is what is truly good, that he is where we can truly find contentment. So for some of us, won't give for the forward movement of the kingdom of God, but we'll buy a new car that's obviously more than we need, and we'll Instagram it, hashtag blessed, hashtag won't he do it, hashtag favor ain't fair. (laughs) And later, and I would give to the church, but I don't have any money to give. I would give to the church, but I don't have any money to give. Our covetousness, it makes fools and liars out of us. So Jesus dealt with their covetousness and their greed, but he continues on as well. Verse 22. And he said to his disciples, so now he's talking to his disciples. He was talking to the crowd and talking to the man. Now he's talking to his disciples. And he says, therefore... I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. So in light of what I've said to you now, don't don't care, don't care too much, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. The second sin that enslaves us that I want to point us to is worry and anxiety. Worry and anxiety. Let me be real clear about what I mean when I say anxiety. I believe in the biblical, biblical dictionary, Bible dictionary that I looked up said that the Greek word here means to be troubled with cares. So I believe this would be a little bit different from clinical anxiety. But what Jesus is talking about when he says anxiety is that when we are, when the, the cares of this world overly trouble us. And he is connecting that specifically to us having what we'll eat, clothing, well, specifically food and clothes is what he is referring to. So when all the cares of this world seem like too much, And they are troubling us because we are concerned about how we're going to make ends meet. We're concerned about how we will provide for ourselves. Many of his disciples at this time had given up everything to follow Jesus. Y'all know the call. They're out there fishing with the family, making a living for themselves and the family. And Jesus like, drop your nets and come follow me. And they do it. They left the family business. 
That was a way that they made money. Now they're following Jesus. And my, my guess is they don't know how they're going to continue to be provided for. They're just trusting Jesus and following him. And he tells them, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Saying to these people who have left everything to come and follow him. He gives them reason in verse 23, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. He goes from that to say to his followers, hey, life is about more than just getting food and about getting clothing. Life is about more than just getting your needs taken care of is what he's saying. Life is about more than that. Continue on verse 24. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds? He says, don't spend your whole life worrying about how you're going to be provided for. Look at the ravens. God is making sure they eat every day. Don't you think he values you more than he values the ravens is what Jesus is saying? Look at nature. And you have to understand, at that point, these disciples that had left everything, they were living under the Roman kingdom or the Roman empire. And at that point, there was no welfare system, right? There were no programs that, or nonprofits or anything like that to care for those who were poor or for those who didn't have a lot. And, and Rome certainly didn't care anything about them. This is the kingdom that they were in, and Rome didn't care anything about them. But Jesus is pointing them to the good news that they're in a new kingdom now, Amen. that Jesus is ushering in a new kingdom where he does take care of his people. He's saying, even though it doesn't look like the kingdom you're in takes care of you, make sure you're okay. I'm bringing in a new kingdom and I value you. Here you are valued and we will make sure that you are taken care of. We'll make sure that you are given everything you need to live the life that God has called and intended for you to live. Jesus is saying they got to learn the reality of this new kingdom that Jesus is ushering in. That if they only live by the systems of this world, then they have reason to be anxious. They have reason to be worried and be afraid. And there's no guarantee that they'll be taken care of. But if they realize and grasp the fact that they are a part of a new kingdom now, where Christ is their king, they can rest and know that they are taken care of. They can leave that worry and anxiety that comes from the old kingdom that they've been living in. They can leave that there and embrace the peace and rest of being in a kingdom where the king knows you, and takes care of you. And then Jesus continues in verse 25 to reason with them, to help them with their anxiety. It says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? He's saying, what good is it doing you to worry about it? You can't add an hour to your life. You can worry no matter how much time you spend worrying and consuming yourself about your needs being taken care of. He said you can't even add a single hour to your life. So why give your life to this worry? He's reasoning with them. God knows exactly how long each of us will be on this earth. And our worrying about that does not add any amount of time to that. We're not in control of that length of time at all. So it's a waste of time and energy to be consumed with worry and anxiety about our needs being met. And he continues to assure them that they're going to be taken care of. Verse 27, consider, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He's saying, look at the lilies in the field. 
God is arraying and clothing them. Why are you so worried about if you're going to be able to have clothes for your body? Verse 28. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? He's saying if he's going to clothe the grass, which is going to die and be thrown into the oven, how much more does he care about and will he take care of you, his child? Then he says, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. He's saying that if you can't rest, if we can't rest knowing that Jesus Christ who came and died for us, that we might come to know him and be eternally secure and provided for in him. If we can't rest in that, in the fact that because he did that, we know that he will also take care of us and make sure we are okay in this life, then we have very little faith. We have very little faith. I, I can't. This has never happened to me before, but if one of my children came up to me and said that they were worried that they weren't going to be able to have food, I would take personal offense. I would say, I will starve before you go without food. There is no life in which I have anything at all and you are going without food. I would take it as if, why won't you trust me? Why don't you trust that I will do what I've been doing for all the years of your life in taking care of you? And for the Christian, then, it is looking at Christ and saying, if he came and shed his blood, that we would come to know him? If he came and was crucified and was tortured on our behalf, of course he will provide for us. If he would allow himself to be condemned, if God the Father would condemn his son for the crimes that we have committed, of course, that same love would lead him to provide for us. If he was willing to do whatever it took and stop at nothing to make us his own, then he will stop at nothing to take care of us now that we are his own. And we have very little faith if we don't trust him to provide for our needs. We'll continue. Verse 29. He says, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. That word seek there has a very strong connotation. It's the same word that's used two verses later to describe the way we should seek and pursue the kingdom of God. His point here is that we shouldn't spend our lives worrying about our needs being met. When I was a child... I don't think there was ever a time that I actually worried about my needs being met. I don't think there was any amount of anxiety that I felt, any amount of worrying that I experienced around the the, the concept of whether or not I will have food, whether or not I will have clothes, whether or not I will have shelter. Why did I not worry about it? Because my dad worried about it. That I was in a very blessed situation where our family always had enough for our needs to be provided for. He was thinking about that. He was concerned about that. I didn't have to be concerned about it or worry or be anxious at all. Because I let my dad worry about that. And when Jesus says here, for your father knows that you need them, he's saying, hey, you rest, you be at ease, you have peace in your soul and let God worry about that. And you let God be the one who is worrying about that. He's not saying don't plan. He's not saying don't budget. He's not saying don't work hard so that you can make enough money. He's saying don't rely primarily on those things. But the one you rely on is your father in heaven who actually provides for you. That you trust him, not yourself. We do everything that we can do to provide for ourselves, our loved ones. But ultimately, we know we do that trusting God. 
that he is the source, and he uses various resources to give us what we need. Ultimately, trusting in God to provide for us is what Christ is calling us to. And when we're not consumed with worry about our needs being met, we are free to really seek and concern ourselves with what is most important. That's what Jesus gets to in verse 31. He says, instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He says, instead, instead of primarily seeking those things, seek his kingdom, and he'll make sure you have all those things. It's what Jesus is saying. You seek the kingdom of God, you concern yourself with the kingdom of God, and let me worry about your needs, Jesus is saying. Let me worry about taking care of you. And then Jesus tells him to do something that I think is a way of fighting against both our covetousness and our anxiety. At the beginning of this, of this shift, when he started talking to his disciples, he said, therefore. So he's saying all this in the light of what he has said previously. And I think in verse 33, he starts giving us what will help us to fight against both this anxiety that he is talking about and the covetousness that he's talking about. And it's going to be very difficult. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. He doesn't just say give away the money you have to his disciples. These are people that left everything, right? So they're not working the same jobs that they're working. They are now following Jesus, but they have some possessions. So they already left the job, and now he's saying, sell those possessions. And the money you get from selling it, give that to the poor. Is what he is saying to them. This is different. This is different from saying give your money away. He's saying, sell what you got to get more money so that you can give it away. Generosity wages war with our covetousness and greed because it is taking God at his word when he tells us that life is not found in the abundance of things. Generosity wages war with our worry and fear because it is an act of faith taking God at his word that he will provide for us. And it puts us in a situation where we have to rely on God. It puts us in a situation where we have to start trusting him because now we're being so generous with what he has let us use that belongs to him. But I got to be honest. Jesus is being very demanding right here. Very demanding. And here's why this is the wisest thing to do. Continue reading in verse 33. Provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For the kingdom of God, sacrificing our stuff, as I said earlier, is actually an investment where we gain more than we use. Paul uses the term heavenly account. Jesus uses the term money bags that do not grow old. Jesus is literally saying sacrifice what you have to secure the bag. It's what Jesus is saying. Many of us are in a career or seeking a career or job where we're trying to make more money, which is fine. How many of us are doing this so that we can give away more, so that we can have more treasure for all eternity? Again, Jesus doesn't just say, give it away in my name so that you can be a good person. He says, give it away so that you can gain more. He says, give it away so you can gain more. Listen, Jesus is incredibly demanding. Incredibly demanding. He, he speaks as if, and this is the case, he speaks as if he actually is the one that owns everything that you have. He, he's actually the one that owns the stuff that he is letting you use. But here's what that means. That means that everything you've ever had, he is sharing it with you. 
Everything you've ever possessed, he is allowing you to use. Anything you've ever enjoyed in this life, he shared it with you so that you can enjoy it. Here's what that means. He's extremely demanding, but he's infinitely more generous than he is demanding. Because everything he's asking you to give, he already shared it with you. He shared it with you before, or you would not be able to give it away or share it with others. He shared everything that you've ever possessed. He has shared it with you, and he came and gave his life for us that we might be able to know him. He is extremely demanding, but he is infinitely more generous than he is demanding. He is incredibly generous. And covetousness is when we allow the things that don't even belong to us, that he is just sharing with us when we hold to them so tightly and we say, no, no, God, this is mine now and I get to decide what I do with it. And anxiety is when we begin to trust, put our trust for security and hope in the things that he is sharing with us. We must understand that, yes, he is causing us to sacrifice a lot. But he is not asking us to give away more than he has given us. Everything we have possessed, he has shared with us. One of the things that I wanted to point out to us is actually found in verse 32 where he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So he tells them, seek the kingdom with their life, including with their possessions in this life. And he's going to enjoy giving them the kingdom. He's going to give, he's saying, give your possessions away for the good of the kingdom and live a life that's below your means. Buy a cheaper car, have cheaper clothes, cheaper luxuries, sell what you have, give your money away, live below your means because you're giving so much to the kingdom and then rest in riches in the next life forever is what he's saying. And he's saying, I'm going to, it's the father's pleasure. He's going to enjoy blessing you with so many riches and so many things when that actually happens. Live below your means for 30 years or for 80 years and then die and go on to be with him and enjoy greater riches than you've ever imagined in this life. Your father desires to lavish you with blessings. It pleases him to do so. So hear me on this. Just because you don't have a lot of riches in this life or just because you don't have everything you want in this life, what this verse is saying is it's not because God doesn't want to bless you tremendously, even financially and even with resources. It just means that he cares more about the riches that will last forever than the ones that you're going to have to give up at some point anyway. It means that he actually cares way more about your financial prosperity and your prosperity in general and eternally than he cares about the stuff that you're going to have to give away at some point anyway, that you're not going to be able to keep. It says it is his pleasure to give us the kingdom. We're trying to hold on to $50, $100, $1,000, and he said, I'm trying to give you the kingdom. I'm going to give you the kingdom. You're going to be with me and reign forever. You're trying to cling to a few dollars in this life. He said, I'm trying to give you, and it is my pleasure to give you the kingdom. So Jesus tells us not to covet and don't believe that life is found in the abundance of possessions right here because he's trying to give us the kingdom. And Jesus tells us not to worry about our needs being met because we're in a new kingdom now where he's going to take care of us. So use what you have now as seed that will bless you for all eternity. In my experience as a, as a pastor, as a believer, this greed, this covetousness, and this anxiety are the primary things that keep people from giving consistently, generously to the work of God. That these things make fools out of us. That it, it makes our, our confession and our practice be, be completely opposite of one another. 
And Jesus, in his grace and his love, is, is seeking to set us free through his word. We're either worried about being provided for with basic needs or we're just consumed with trying to have more stuff than we already have. And when the people of God are given to either of these, this covetousness or this anxiety and worry and fear, instead of seeking first the kingdom, we're not living as citizens of his new kingdom. His kingdom is here to set us free from slavery to greed and being overly troubled by the cares of this world. So if you remember, and you're currently not consistently giving, I just want to have a couple questions just to leave you with before we partake in communion together. Are you not tithing because you believe life is found in the abundance of things? Are you not tithing consistently given to the church because you believe life is found in the abundance of things? Or do you buy things that you don't need that prevent you from being able to tithe and invest into the kingdom of God? And if so, what is it that you are actually prioritizing over the kingdom? What is it? Go, go through your bank statement. Go through your accounts. Look at it. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with others that you're in fellowship with. What is it that you actually value more than giving to the kingdom of God? And the second part of that is, are you not tithing because you feel anxiety about your needs being met? Do you not give to support the work of the Lord because you don't trust God to provide your needs? Is it because you've begun to, to trust the gift more than the giver? If, these, if either of those are true of you, I want to say this as lovingly and as humbly as I possibly can. You need to repent. You need to repent. If you're married and that's true of you, that you actually have, I'm talking about if you actually have it to give, you actually have enough income to meet all of your needs. If, you, if you're married, you need to have a conversation with your spouse, I would say do it today so you don't forget. Confess to God, com repent, excuse me, and start seeking the kingdom of God first with your money and resources as well as a part of your life. The reality is if we are unwilling to give financially to the work of the kingdom of God, it's because we don't value it enough. It's because we actually value other things more. Our money always reveals our hearts. Actually, in verse 34, Jesus says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart actually is. And as we partake in communion today, I just want us to do this as we remember Christ. I want us to remember, and I, I, my, prayer, my prayer is that the broken bread that represents his broken body and the juice that represents his shed blood reminds us of how much Jesus values the kingdom that it will be a reminder to us of the great value he has in bringing his kingdom come in the earth and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven, that the broken bread and the juice will remind us that it was worth his life to him, that it was worth dying for him, that we will partake in communion in remembrance of him, his urgency, his love for his kingdom and his love for us. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful that we get to be a part of your kingdom. I'm grateful that we get to, to know you, that we are part of a kingdom where we are cared for, where we are taken care of. Father, would you help us to trust you? Trust you that you will provide for us and meet our needs. And also, Father, trust you when you tell us that life is not found in the abundance of possessions, that we will trust you that true life is found only in you, that true contentment and satisfaction and peace for our souls is found only in you, Father, would you allow us to see the lies that we have believed? 
that we would value money and possessions more than we value your kingdom. Father, will you help us to understand, to see, to perceive accurately the lies that the enemy has told us? Lies that it would be better if we spent our money on things primarily for ourselves. Father, as we sang earlier, will you have your way in this place? Will you have your way in us? Father, if it's not pleasing to you, will you take it out of us? Will you uproot the the greed, the covetousness, Father, the worry, the lack of trust in you? Will you uproot it and take it out of us, Father? And I ask that you would do whatever you got to do to make that happen. Whatever it takes, Lord, we ask that you would do that. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.